Because it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. Speak to us now through exegesis, not eisegesis. In Jesus' name, amen. I heard you, Pastor Dub. Pastor Dub said, Jesus' name. Um, what y'all think of that? Some reactions. Wow. Hold, hold on. One person at a time. One person at a time. One person at a time. Any reactions? Shenanigans. Okay, that was shenanigans. Um, we need um, one of our English majors to break down shenanigans, okay? I'm messing with you, Gessie. Well, uh, in, anybody, anybody, reactions? Heresy, okay? Investments, okay? Don't know what you mean by that, but uh, investments. Got you, got you, got you. Sad. Ludicrous. Greedy. Somebody said, my, my, my. What? <laughs> huh? Selfish. Who said that? Idolatry, yeah. Crocodile, got you, sister. Got you, sister. A- anybody else? Say, say that again, Chris. Grief. Mainstream. Manipulation. Say it again. Unbiblical. Spiritual prostitution. You about to make me. I'm joking, y'all. Somebody said, see, I knew it. I knew that... <laughs> Not the gospel. Yes. Hot mess. (laughs) She said a hot mess. A hot mess. Let me get somebody up in the balcony up here. Yes. Scam. Right here. Anybody? She said, leave us alone. Okay, I'm going to come right here. I'm going to come right here. Demonic. Wow. That's a lot of reactions, huh? How how were y'all feeling while you were listening to that? Enraged? Angry, sad. What did you, now let me ask you this. Man, let me ask you this. What did you think about, not just the preacher. I think it's easy, that's the easy part. What did you think about the responses of, of the people that were there in relation to what was being said? Brainwash? False hope? Deceive? Yes, sir. Biblically illiterate? Say that louder. Amen. Bamboozled. Malnourished. Lost sheep. Yes. Moved by emotion. Amen. I mean, it's so, we, can, we can go on all day long. Now, let me tell you what. Now, I kind of, in my flesh, wish all that could be true. But the hard part about it, good God Almighty, it's not. And... What we're dealing with, they are more so a hyperbole, in my mind, in Christianity, of the problem. Um, I was engaging a guy on the block the other day and just talking to him, my friend named Dennis. We always chop it up with each other. And, you know, I, I, when Dennis began telling me about him watching TV, I was like, oh, no. And he said, See, I, I might not come there on Sunday, but I'm always in front of my TV on s- Sunday morning. I was like, okay. And so I'm getting scared because... There is a face of Christianity um, that, that's out there that's marking all of us. Um, people don't know different sects, S-E-C-T of Christianity, S. They don't know um, the different sects of Christianity. And so they kind of begin to lump us into every category. But one of the things that this is really a byproduct of, and I would say is really what we would call hyperbole, an exaggeration of, all of our desires and where we can all end up. Every one of us can end up because of a particular place in how we view possessions and how we view God where we can eventually end up. And and that's why today I I want us to talk about contentment. Um, I don't think you can talk about stewardship without talking about contentment. Because I think you got to talk about God, the owner. I think you have to talk about the spheres of stewardship. What are we actually supposed to steward? But then, what's our disposition towards God and what he gives and what he doesn't? Because, see, that's what contentment is about. What is your disposition towards God, what he gives, and what he chooses not to give us? Will you, will you fight to create in your framework, a theology that will allow you to get it? 
Or will you submit to a biblical principle called the C word, contentment? And so today we're going to dive up in a passage that's very, very interesting in relation to talking about this idea of contentment. Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30. We're going to grab some New Testament references later, but this is going to be the, the, uh, the passage that we are going to go expositionally through. As we talk about this idea of contentment, say contentment. When you look at the book of Proverbs, it talks a lot about a whole lot of things. But as we get to this section here, I'm going to read this and then we're going to go through some background on it so you can kind of understand the nature and purpose of this text that God is placing us in today. We're going to start at verse 5 through 9. Matter of fact, I'll start at verse 1. It says, the words of Agur, son of Jakah, the oracle, the man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a gar in, in a garment who has established all the ends of the earth who is his what is his name and what is his son's name surely you know every word of god proves true he is a shield to those who take refuge in him do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar two things i ask of you Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What a powerful passage. What a powerful passage. We're going to spend some time um, chopping this joint up right here and getting into the general corpus of Scripture to kind of see what the entire canon kind of talks about from a biblical theological perspective about contentment. But here in this passage, Proverbs 30 and 31 are given to the pen of Agur and Lemuel. Um, it is unknown totally who Agur is. Some believe that Agur was a Gentile because the text would point to that because of the, the, um, the passage. But Agur or Lemuel or these namesake kings, sometimes sages would use names that would point to a person but really want to culminate an idea based on the reference of the speech that they're walking through. And what's powerful about Proverbs 30 and 31 is these two passages Really, everybody agrees that they are a climax for Proverbs. They're climaxing the book to kind of give a summation of what the book is about. And, and, and who it points to and what we should walk away from Proverbs with. What's powerful about Proverbs is Proverbs was written by multiple authors. You have David, you have Solomon, and you have so many others um, who are attributed to Proverbs, but God even superintended not just the writers, but also how it was compiled and the way it was laid out. And it crescendos in Proverbs 31 with the woman of great value being wisdom personified. This is what it looks like for wisdom to comprehensively impact you. It looks like a woman who handles everything well. But before it goes to Proverbs 31, in Proverbs 30, it talks about the disposition of the heart of the person that is walking according to the community of the wise. I don't know if you remember when we were going through the series on Proverbs. How many of you were here when we went through the series on Proverbs? And when we went through the series on Proverbs, we talked about in Proverbs there are two types of people. There's the community of the fool, the dumbo. Then you got the community of the wise. One of the words we saw for fool was nabal, which means stupid fool. That means extraordinary type of fool, next level fool, upgraded fool, deeper fool, next level fool, new season fool, just a plum fool, right? We saw that wisdom was the Hebrew word chakma. Can you say that? You got a hawk like you about something up here. Chakma, yeah, I like that. 
Hakma means, hakma means to live skillfully. In other words, not just taking in information. That's knowledge. That's not wisdom. See, 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 in Proverbs, you're still a fool if you know information and don't do it. But see, in the Hebrew mindset, gathering the information means you turned that information, that information becomes hakma to you. In other words, skillful living is what the Hebrew word means. The application of knowledge is what wisdom means. And so every believer in Christ, every people of God, all of us should be seeking after the passion to not just talk smack, but to walk right in light of what God is sowing and diving into our soul. So, so here, Agur is laying out just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful passage on contentment. And so I got two points today about this idea of contentment, just two. And we're going to just walk through this real slow like. The first, the first point we see from the passage is we must see the sufficiency of the word of God. We must see the sufficiency of the word of God. In verse 5, he says, every word of God proves true. That's powerful. Um, basically, here, King Agur is talking about the integrity of the word of God. In other words, he, the integrity of the word of God, the word of God by itself is true. Now, let's, let's, let's break down this word prove because it's a beautiful and rich word. The word prove means to smelt or to test something. It's the idea of putting a, 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 a piece of metal that has been uh, taken out of the mine and placed on the smelter or the pot around heat, and it is melted down to its raw state, and dross comes to the top, and you remove the dross, which are the impurities off of it, and move it away. And it's when the impurities are gone, and the smelter or the one, the metalsmith looks over and sees his face in it. That's how he knows that the impurities have been totally taken out because he can see himself in it. Well, it says that the word of God proves true. Proves true um, is not saying that the word of God needs to be cleaned out. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying by nature, the word of God is what's called an extringent. Uh, um, 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 my barber uses um, uh, this kerosene, you know, because I'll be funny when I go to, if I go to the barbershop and somebody just got their hair cut and they bumped all up, pus coming out, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, man, nah, I'm going to him. I'm going to this barber right here. You know what I'm saying? He just cack, 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 and put, hitting his head up and pus all in the, just looking, and blood and, ah, uh, help me, God. And so, and so, and so, and so what they will do and some people, some guys just say next. And then I'm saying no, but, but some will clean their blades off. And this kerosene, I was told by a barber, you put it down and you run the clippers through it. And what it does is it makes the clippers run more smoothly and it cleans and disinfects at the same time without itself being affected by the impurities. So the word of God is like that type of extringent that purifies everything it comes in contact with. Jesus Christ says in John 15, 3, he says, you are already clean because of the word that I spoke to you. Meaning that whatever the word comes in contact with and affects automatically becomes clean. And so, and so what he's saying is, is I, but, but from a girl's perspective, though, he's speaking from an experiential standpoint. However, we know that the word of God is broader than our experience. However, it does enter our experience. So in King Agur's experience, he's seen the word of God purify stuff around him. And that comes from, and this is where contentment comes in. Con proper contentment can help you to properly see the word of God for the word of God. See, when you're not content, family, you'll go to the Bible to find what you want to find. It doesn't prove true for the person that wants to go and make the Bible conform to their desires. Because the key to a, the core of a lack of contentment is, will I go to God's word? Let God's word say what it's going to say and I adjust to it. Or am I going to try to misconfigure it 
because I'm struggling with what it might say if it's saying what it's supposed to say. And see, see, that's, that's one of the beginnings of contentment. I know we ain't talking about money yet, but I'm telling you, this is for your soul. This is for your soul because if you don't get the, your disposition towards the word of God properly emancipated, then what's going to happen is, is you're going to go through life thinking God serves you, but you don't serve him. And so the key to being content is understanding that reality and that when you're content, things are, when you walk trying to walk in biblical contentment, you're going to continuously be frustrated. You're going to be frustrated with life circumstance, but you're also going to be frustrated with God's word. See, some of us have a romantic view of the Bible. That we're going to read the Bible and, oh, God, I just feel the anointing, God. I, I mean, I just thank you. Thank you for No, nah, sometimes the word of God is going to make you want to throw it over a building. This is you ain't never, if you ain't really been in the Bible and the Bible cuts you. And you're going to be like, see, that's, I mean, sometimes I get up the, from the table. My wife will see me walk in the house. I'll just be walking the house and the Holy Spirit lighten me up with that Bible. And the question is, am I going to settle that or allow that unsettledness to be engaged by the scriptures. Because the core of where contentment is developed is by the word of God purifying us to the core of our being. And it comes with a fight. It don't comes with you feeling good about the Bible all the time. Sometimes you will get angry at the Bible. But if you're allowing God to work with you as he cleans you with the Bible and your will gets aligned with his, then you're not angry anymore. You become thankful. So King Agur, so King Agur understand, he says, the word of God proves true. It, it, it's, it's clean. Everything it comes in contact with, it, it purifies it. It purifies it. I mean, I'm telling you, man, after I get a haircut and the guy take that stuff and he just, first it feels good when they do the powder. You be like, ah. Then all of a sudden, while you're not looking, you're looking in the mirror or something, he go, whoosh and wipes some stuff on you, and, and, and the wind hit it, and it dries, and then after that, all of a sudden, your eyes cross because, you know what I'm saying, because it's burning. The, it feels like somebody just put some gasoline around your shape up and just set it on fire. You know what I'm saying? But what's interesting is it's working to make sure that no impurities infect you so that you can enjoy the haircut because if the stuff gets up and the bumps happen, then they won't be able to see your shape up no more. They're just going to see your bumps. I don't know if you don't know. And, 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 so, and, so, and so what we do is we've learned to accept the pain of that because we know that it's doing good for us. See, if you know the word of God is doing you good, if you know the word, it might hurt for one moment, it might sting, it might burn, but after the wind blows over and you say, man, what usually happens to me didn't happen, and it was all because I allowed the word of God to hit me. See these punks on this screen? Oh, God, help me stay sanctified in how I talk about them. Pray for me. Elders, deacons. Uh, missionaries, everybody pray for me. Um, <laughs> um, but but, but the, they, they have a diamond. One guy said, I remember cash flow. He said, he said um, cash flow dollar, Creflo dollar. I'm sorry, Creflo dollar. He said, he said, everywhere I look in the Bible, I see money. I wish everywhere I... I wish I opened a page and pow, pow. Like, you know, I wish, I wish it was like that. But I don't see it. Like Jesus says, you search the scriptures. For in them you think you find eternal life, but they all speak of me. Now, how in the world do you see money and not Jesus? Wow. So that means you're not content with what God says. So you have to. Align yourself with that. And so the Bible says, in later times, many will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of lies seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. And they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. In other words, people will, won't, they're like, I don't like the way you're spinning on that. See, I don't like that. See, I believe, it don't matter what you believe. Because our beliefs are shaped by the purity of the word. Now, see, I, I just don't receive it. It don't matter if you receive it or not. It's still the word of God. I rebuke that. No, you can't rebuke the word. The word rebukes you. 
<laughs> and so when, when, when you're walking as a Christian to walk in biblical, Christ-centered contentment, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a struggle because your desires have to consistently be aligned with his. And that means as it's exposed to the word, stuff is going to sting regularly. So it's just going to sting. And so, and, so, and so we don't want to be those who accumulate uh, for ourselves teachers in accordance with our own desires. Then uh, King Agur goes further and he says, he is a shield, that is God, is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Now, what does it look like to take refuge in God right here? You take re it's not just going into the prayer closet in this context. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about worship in this context. It's talking about in this context getting in the word of God as a refuge. Now, even when God allows the word to hurt you, he still protects you. That's crazy. In other words, he's still, like, I remember, like, like, like it trips me out. Like, my, my wife, my wife, uh, it trips me out when my wife and I, when I, when I beat Manny. I don't call them spankers no more beatings. And so, because I used to get them. He going to get them too. So, somebody's calling. Excuse me. Um, we need. Um, I, I, I'll, 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 I'll spank him. And then, and you know, Manny, you know, you know, I do strip down like my mom used to do me. You know, you got to get it. You know what I'm saying? And, and so, and so, but, but what's interesting is that right after that, Manny comes, sits on my lap and put his head in my chest. Now I look at my wife like, what in the world is going on? And, and, and my wife explained to me, she said, she said, Bay, even though you spanked him, he still knows that you love him. And so even though you were the one that inflicted pain to him, he felt that that pain was protective for him. I was like, you're deep, girl. <laughs> Theologian, uh, excellent. So, <laughs> and so God, God will sting you. Listen, God will cut you and heal you at the same time. So he's a refuge. So just because you're in a little bit of pain, he said, I'm going to cut you. I'm, I am going to cut you. But after I cut you, I'm going to stitch up your wounds and talk to you while I'm stitching the wounds. Clean your wound out and cover it and heal it. Now, somebody called that abuse. Somebody said, that's just abuse. How are you going to beat? If somebody beat somebody and then heals them, how is that? No, nah, biblically, we're talking about spiritually. This is love. And so... He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. How? In his word. That means trust what he says as true. And trusting that that will cover you. He says he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Then King Lem, uh, 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 I'm about to say Lemuel, uh, Agur says, do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Wow. So God says, anybody play with my word, I'm going to light them up. Bottom line. So he says, do not add to it because God will use the word you're trying to reject to rebuke you. Now, second point, and this is what we're going to spend most of our time on. We must find satisfaction in, in God alone. Real simple point. We, 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 we must find satisfaction in God alone. Now, now King Agul goes now to a different section of this, and he, and he begins to talk prayer now. Like the first part was an oracle, which is a prophetic burden based on verse 1. But now in verse um, um, 7, he goes into a prayer. So now he says, two things I ask. So your boy Agur is like, some people believe he was on his deathbed because it says before I die. I don't think that's necessarily true here. I think he's just saying, I want my life to be marked by these things are systemic to me following you. These two things are systemic to me loving you. These two things are systemic to me um, being content in you, Lord. He says, two things I ask. He says, deny them not to me before I die. Can you hear this guy is giving almost like a, like a if, if I can pray one last time and you don't give me anything else. You got you to gotta have some if you don't give me anything else prayers. Because that means you're, you're about to walk in contentment. 
We said, God, if you don't give, now, I'm not saying, if you don't give me nothing else, give me that woman. If you don't give me nothing else, give me that house. See, some of y'all going to say, see, I knew it was a way to work that thing to be able to, no, nah, that's not what I'm saying. This type of prayer that I'm talking about is a, is a prayer that, 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 that begins because of pain, because of struggle, and because of knowing how nasty you are. You, you begin praying for yourself protectively because of the desire that you have for contentment. And so he has a protectionary prayer here that he's asking of God for him. He, he, he's, he's, he's like, God, if I, if I can just ask two things, if I can get a prayer through on this one, like you can shut everything else down, but this will be a lifetime's worth of a prayer. And he asked for two things. First, he asked, he said, remove far from me falsehood and lying. That's prayer number one. Now, this is a beastly prayer. He says, remove from me. He said, remove far from me. Now, that's what's crazy. He said, I don't even want to be in the vicinity of it. He said, remove it far from me. It's interesting. Remove far from is an interesting colloquialism. It means to keep aloof. Remove or distant either physically or emotionally. Wow. It's a prayer of I know myself, God. I know how I am. In other words, I'm not praying for stuff that if I get them, I will make them an idol. So he said, like, what I need you to do is, like, don't even bring it. Or, like, 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 Lord, you know how your boy is on Klakow. Like, Klakadoki it away from me, God, right now. Like. Keep it around the corner. Don't even know. Let me don't smell the aroma of that demonic bread. Keep it far from your boy. See, some of y'all ain't, don't, don't, ain't honest with yourself. See, some of y'all, see, I can handle it. See, that's why you're in trouble right now. That's why you're in trouble right now. Because you, but, but of course, I can't handle it. So know what I need, God? I need you because I'm a liar. I love lying. That's what he's saying right here. He said, I don't know why, but I'll be, somebody will ask me a question, and I just got to tell a lie about it. I don't know why. Uh, Where did you get that from? <laughs> he got it from the thrift store. Oh, Neiman Marcus, you know. Got it on the sale rack, though. He's like, like dang, why? and then he walks away. Why did I do that? And so he said, God, <laughs> remove from me the opportunity for anything false. Now, interesting, this word falsehood is interesting, especially married to this word lie. Right after it. The word for falsehood means vainness, emptiness, living in light of a false purpose, having a deceitful appearance. In other words, he says, God, help me not to use my appearance as a way to appear that I'm somewhere that I'm not. You know, when I first went to Dallas, I mean, when I first moved from the East Coast to Dallas, me and my wife, I was rocked because I'd never been around an environment like that. I mean, I saw Ferraris, BMWs, like 25-year-old cats, ain't selling, selling, ain't pushing weight. You know, I came from a block. If you pushing, that was a dude pushing weight running it like that. So I'm, I'm down here, cats, young heads, driving jet. Everybody got on crispy gear, crispy gear. I mean, never, I mean, diamond all, oh my like, dag, I'm in seminary, me and wifey just like, dag. You know, we struggling, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, I feel like I'm in the church with heads, man. I'm, we going to the food basket, you know what I'm saying? Get, some, get us some, some chicken pieces and some bread and some milk. You know what I'm saying? Working it out, but being faithful, working all of that, right? And so, I'm, but I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, just, I'm looking at cats I'm like, dang. I see, I would like for, you know, the dang. Man, Looking up job listings, applying for stuff I didn't, I wasn't, I couldn't ever get. It's like, who are you? Get out of here. Bye. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then I, I walked up on somebody. I said, man, I'm, just pray for me, man. I'm, I'm feeling it up here. He's like, what's the matter? I said, man, I'm, I'm just real. I'm, I'm feeling Your boy feeling like, man, like, I, I'm going to just be honest. I know our life isn't found in things, but I am struggling with Dallas right now. He's like, what you mean? I said, heads just got, I mean, he got this, they got that. He, the dude, but, I mean, he, it's like he got a spasm right here from laughing, right? <laughs> I mean, just a spasm. And then when he came to, I was like, <laughs> he was like, he was like, he was like, he was like, man, he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, man, let me tell you something. Dallas has the highest debt ratio of people in the nation. I was like, what you mean? 
He said, oh, none of the people, oh, that's on credit. They don't, ain't nothing. He said, he said, if you look at one of their portfolios, everything's maxed out. But they feel like it's worth it to max out everything to appear like there's something that they're not. Then the peace of God that passes all understanding came over me after that. I said, see now. Yeah. 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 I was like, yeah. That felt good, even though it was pride in the mud, but uh, <laughs> pride. But because uh, I was like, see, I'm better than them. See, I knew it was something wrong, man. In the atmosphere, see? But <laughs> but but Agur saying, I don't want to be, I don't want to front, God. I don't want to be a fronter. I don't want front. I don't want to. I don't want to, because of my lack of contentment, max out my life to appear to be something I'm not. That's what he says, man. How many of us are living like that? Maxing out life to fight to please men by the way we appear, by the way we look, and by the way we talk. Because we're so passionate, and I've been that person too. Passionate about what men think. Going hardly able to sleep because of what man thinks. And not living for the audience of one. Because when you're not content, you will not live for the right audience. You always live for the wrong audience. And the problem with the wrong audience is they are greedy for you to appear more apparently what you're not. And so it will always be an open pit because anything that's not found content in God always is hungry. It's hungry all the time. It's a garbage can of trash. That's why we got to fall back. I mean, you gotta, we got to learn how to be real. Now, when I say be real, I ain't talking about raw real. I'm talking about redemptive real. Because, see, some of us know raw real. You want me to be real? I'll be real right now. We can get it real. Now, I'm not talking about, that's not, that's not the real I'm talking about. Because some of y'all, see, I knew the, see, listen, I, no. <laughs> no, I'm saying redemptive real looks different. You know what I'm saying? Don't look like that. Don't look gully. Gully, that's gully, ghetto, nasty, trifling, wild. That's what that is, right? And so, and so Agur, Agur is giving us a picture of this. That's one of the things I like about Jesus. Je- Jesus didn't care. Like, like he, he's on the Sabbath sometimes. Knowing it's the Sabbath, him and his disciples just picking stuff. <laughs> He's like, this is good. Oh, man, they're looking at us like we're crazy. The disciples, but we're with Jesus. So I guess we'll do this because we're with Jesus, even though everybody is looking at us funny. Because they think we should be doing what they want. We want, oh, we should. No, but since we're with Jesus, he sets the table for what it looks like to not appear false. And then it was funny. Jesus handled the naysayers. They didn't have to handle them. Why do your disciples not fast? Why do your disciples pick when do what is lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus, while picking in front of him, want something? He said, oh, no, like this. You know what I'm saying? He's still picking. And dude, like, ah, you know, unclean. You know, he's going like this and carrying on. And, and Jesus said, well, I am the resurrection. He said, I am the Sabbath. He said, the Sabbath was not made for God. It was made for you. Dude's like, oh, we, let me reconvene about this. Come here. <laughs> see, when, see, when Jesus is leading the way, of rebellion for you. And he's the reason why you don't have to walk in shame no more. If you sinned and, and people are still holding you and you're trying to appear something, no. Let the blood cover you. Let the blood cover you. Because living false is acting like someone you're not. And when you act like someone you're not, you're on your own. You're on your own. Because God can't cover a false identity. He can only cover a Christ-centered identity. Because that's what he covered through the cross. But then it goes, to, it goes from falsehood to lying. He said, he said help me not to be us a lying dude. Now, what's interesting with these two together, it, it, it shapes what's called a hendiatus. And so what happens is, is these two words are kind of synonyms. Remember from school, English synonyms. Words that are alike in meaning, but different in the way it's spelled. See? And so these are two like that. But together, words that are close in proximity are used kind of like a potent concentrate of sorts. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like making Kool-Aid. Now, when you put the cherry Kool-Aid or you like watermelon or lemonade, right? Kool-Aid. 
Now, the potency of the mixture is going to be based on how much sugar you put in it. Now, I can tell you can't make Kool-Aid if you look at the directions. <laughs> I had a Japanese roommate in college. I hope you hear this. I had a Japanese roommate in college. We, he, we called him, uh, yeah, I can't tell you what we called him. But, <laughs> but his name was Ikisoma. And, um, and, 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 man, he was looking at, we, we lived we live in a, a, a apartment, two-bedroom apartment for $200 a month above a doctor's office. I know some of y'all are like, where's that? <laughs> See, stay in the sermon. Um, um, and so he looking at, I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm, he said, brother, I'm looking at the, I said, what? I said, man, give me the picture, man. I just took the sugar and just went, clacka, you know what I'm saying? Clacka, clacka, clacka. He's like, oh, God. He said, we're going to have a coma. And I said, no, no, no. Then I took hot water and put in it because, see, hot water. Y'all don't know nothing about that there. And so it took it and stirred it first with a little bit of hot water in it to make sure that the, sol the solution dissolves it. Put the Kool-Aid in it. And then, then you put the cold water in it. Then you put some fruit in it. You don't know nothing about that. You don't know nothing about that. But the concentrate makes the mixture more potent. And so that's what this Hendiatus here is for. It's to show the potency of what he's asking for it not to be. He said, this is what I don't want it to be, family. So he said, he, it basically points to, I don't want to be a complete deceiver. That's what he's saying. It, the, the word, the idea this becomes, takes on the form of idolatry. Because idolatry is the, the, is the incarnation of that which is most false. Which we lift our hearts up to, to worship instead of God. So in, in, in essence, he's saying, God, my first prayer is that I would be content with you and that I will worship you only. Dang, that's a prayer. That I would only have affection for you. That's what he's praying. Because see, a false thing is having affection to please something out there. And so anything that we try to have affections in besides God is idolatry. So he's saying, I, he said, I don't want to be that dude. He said, help your boy not to be that dude, Lord. And then he goes further in the text. Wow. I'm all right? Okay. Thanks, Pastor Doug. <laughs> then, he, then he says, this is a prayer right here, fam. This is the prayer part of, this is part of the prayer number two. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. We're going to stay on that for a while. Give me neither poverty nor riches. <laughs> this could mean make me middle class, you know, God. You know, not the three-car garage, but God, give me the one-car garage. I'll take that, you know. The, the, the four-bedroom, not the seven. But his prayer is deep right here. It's very, very deep. Because in the book of Proverbs, poverty or being poor and riches had two sides to both sides. There was two sides to being poor in Proverbs, and there was two sides to being rich. There was a positive and negative side to both of them, which is powerful. So what's happening here is the book of Proverbs is crescendoing in this verse right here, in, 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 in the idea of contentment. When he says, give me, give me, points to the sovereignty of God because he knows that God distributes things a certain way. But then he says, Lord, don't give me poverty. Now, let me, let me, let's break down what poverty is. I think Americans really don't know what poverty is. We think, let me, anyway, let, we're going we're gonna to talk about it in a second. So, one, one lexicon said it means really poor. That's what it meant. That's really poor. A state or condition of lacking what is needed. Below what is normal in society. Poverty in scripture can be both social and spiritual. The words poor and poverty cover a wide range of meaning, overlapping with widow and orphan. He is not referring to the normal affirmation that poverty is a result of some spiritual deficiency like these dudes are. Because these dudes would say, that were on here would say, if you don't have, as a Christian, physical things, 
then your Christianity isn't as amped as it's supposed to be because God offers as a missionary peace you having a lot as a way to attract people to him. So God uses cash to get people to Christ. That's, that's what it means. And so, however, when you look at all of the Bible, all of it, help me, you'll see differently. Now, there are two types of poor people in Proverbs, but even in the Bible, there's the righteous poor and there's the unrighteous poor. We talk about this in covenant community. Now, the righteous poor, they're marked by hard work, honesty and commitment. So, let me get on my soapbox yet. Proverbs 28.6, better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. Listen to how Jesus in Luke 21 talks about the widow's offering. He says, as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. He said, I'll tell you the truth, he said. This widow has put in more than all the others. All these People gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. It's interesting here, and we're not talking about giving yet. However, Jesus is talking about a heart that shows up in how it executes and relates to what it has. That's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about giving. He's talking about the disposition of her heart in relation to God's requirements for his people, right? And so what happens is, know what, I, know what I don't like as an urban church planter, urban pastor in the inner city? I don't like it when people assume that everybody in the community who's poor doesn't know Jesus. It's some people that will pray the community up on a mountain. There's some people around here that know more Bible than you. Just because somebody lives in the projects doesn't mean they don't know Jesus. Deeply. And look, I, if one more suburban spot calls us and I'm, I'm just saying this and ask can they bring their youth group around to evangelize the community I'm going to scream in nine languages we want to help share with those people wow those people huh and view because people are in a so, and these are conservative evangelical fundamentalist bible thumping Christians who who will rail on the prosperity gospel, but treat the poor like punks. There are righteous poor people that are in the circumstances that doesn't have anything to do with their stewardship. See, 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 that's what we need to get through our heads. Because, see, some of us believe in an undercurrent prosperity gospel. Even though we don't believe in the overt, we believe in the covert joint. And so the Bible teaches some people are in poor, are poor and are in poverty, and they are in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wow. And their poverty isn't a spiritual issue. Yes, they can use some help. Yes, they can use some, but that doesn't mean that they stewarded their possessions badly. <laughs> then the unrighteous poor. Now they marked by laziness, yawning and carrying on. Complacency. See, contentment. A complacency is the enemy of contentment. See, complacency, contentment says, God, whatever situation you put me in, I'm willing to deal with it. Uh, that, that's what contentment says. Complacency says, I'm tired. It's impatience. It's impatience. Deep, deep, deep impatience. So it says in Proverbs 6:10, it says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then he says, and poverty will come in on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Isn't that crazy? Bible's a beast, man. Listen. Listen, man, listen. Man, it's, it's interesting that it's called, there are lazy poor people who are poor because of laziness. But not all poor people are poor because of laziness. Talk to some of the guys that got calluses on their hand from doing manual labor. Call them lazy. They'll outwork you in a day. Do a 15-hour day with them and see if they're lazy now. <laughs> I remember when we were in the projects. I was born in the projects. So my mother did day's work. Praying woman loved Jesus, redeemed by the cross. It wasn't because of stewardship we were where we were. 
But there is a poverty gospel, though. Now, what do I mean by that? Some of y'all got real scared. Now, see, we always talk about the prosperity gospel. But there's another side on the other side where, because see, the prosperity gospel finds value in being rich. The poverty gospel finds value in being poor. That means if I am poor, then I am whatever. So it says, a self-seduced vow to disconnect oneself from material possessions comprehensively. Many monasticism and asceticism. One guy during the monastic period, he said, man, I'm just tired of lusting with my eyes. I'm just tired of it. So he went, he, he looked in the mirror, he said, got out a knife. He said, Jesus said in Matthew 5, if your eye causes you to stumble, gorge it out. He said, one, two, three, pop, 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 optic nerves out. Then he realized that he still had the memories from when he used to look at people and he still was lusting. <laughs> Every seminary student knows that story and it always floors us when we hear it. <laughs> Another guy said, I want to get away from everything. I'm tired of materialism. I'm tired of all this. I'm going to go out in the desert. But he forgot that when he went out in the desert, he was going to be there. <laughs> and indwelling sin was with him. As he was walking out there, his shadow was like, where is he going? Let's go back this way this way. And he went out there and was still struggling, still frustrated, and found that that solitude away from everybody else wasn't, wasn't getting, it wasn't everybody else that was a problem. It was him that was the problem. <laughs> so it, 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 see, the poverty gospel says, if I have a little, then it makes me more holy because I have nothing in my possession that tempts me. And that, whenever you make yourself righteous because of something besides Jesus, it automatically becomes another gospel. <laughs> so he says, no riches. He said, don't give me poverty, no riches. I'm going to explain what this means in the context, but we've got to understand what Proverbs means by poverty and riches first. Then he says, no riches. So riches in this context means what is very much more than the norm for society with the focus on possessions or money that constitute the wealth. So what is much more than the norm in a society? Now, the righteous rich, marked by hard work, faithfulness, and financial blessing from God. So that means that their labors are met by God. And we will see, we'll, you'll see later as we, as we go down on um, the stewardship series, that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, God sovereignly does make people rich. For him, though. Not to floss, but for him. Proverbs 8, 18 says, With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasures full. What's interesting in this passage is wisdom personified. And wisdom is speaking out to the benefits of wisdom. Now, the unrighteous rich are marked by deception, lying, and stealing. Proverbs 11, uh, 16 says, A kind-hearted woman gains respect, but ruthless men gain only wealth. Proverbs 7, uh, 11, 7, 11, 7 says, When a wicked man dies, his hope perishes. All he expects from his power comes to nothing. So when he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, it's interesting in our context. See, 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 poverty in our is not the same. See, some of y'all don't rich and you don't know it. See, 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 the Bible says if you have food and covering, you have all you need. Now, you're rich if you have more than food and covering. So, college student, if you take out your meal ticket and you can go onto the campus and choose what you want to eat and it's cooked for you by somebody else, that's what rich people have. Some of y'all only got a keys and a meal ticket. You're like, I'm a poor college. No, you're not. Because you pull out that meal ticket and you have more than daily bread. If you go home today and you have food in your fridge, in your freezer, and in your cupboard, even if it's not what you want, you're rich. Because poverty meant you don't have anything in your possession to eat and you're trying to find a way to eat. 
you're decent or you ha- you're just in a position of just need base. You just got basically what you need if you got enough for this meal right now. But if you got more, if you got a week's worth of meal, the Bible will call you rich. Now, some of y'all need to re-relate to yourself now because you thought you was poor, but you ain't poor. If you got a closet with more than two outfits in it, you're rich. If you got a closet with more than one coat, if you got different coats to go with different types, I got the dress coat, I got the casual coat, I got the in-between coat, I got the rink, you rich. If you got boots, sneaks, dress shoes, you rich. If you got a diff- you got a dress belt, you got a big belt because of the, you know, you know what some people use the big belt for, the, you know, holding the gut. If you got that type of belt, if you got a dress belt, if you got a casual belt, if you got a belt, one belt with different types of buckles, you got the radio belt, you got the Nintendo belt, you got, if you got different type of belt buckles, you're rich. If you got multiple different types of earrings, you're rich. If you got different types of lipstick, you're rich. If you can get a haircut once a month, you're rich. Let me tell you something. If you have more than enough for today, you are rich. But see, a lack of contentment tells you you don't have it. I see, look at I don't have. You got a foot. What? You got days worth. You, if you can not wear the same drawers twice in one week, you can say it for me. Yeah. And so, and so, and so y'all, like, like, like for us, but, but, but let me, I mean, a uh, prayer is give me neither poverty no riches. Now, he's not asking just not to be poor and not to be rich. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's, he's saying, God, don't put, help me not to be in a situation where I am not content. That, that's the point of his prayer. That, that, like, Lord, rig my life. It's really not about his situation. His prayer is more about him. Because you see it in verse 8, it says, I mean, the latter part of verse 8, it says, feed me with the food that is needful for me. Wow. One translation says, feed me with my allotted portion of bread. Another translation says, feed me with the food that is my portion. Another one says, feed me with the food that I need. Feed me with my, uh, the food allotted to me. The New Living Translation says, give me just enough to satisfy my need. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. So, 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 but what are the enemies of contentment? Because I'm going to explain what contentment is, but I, I want to do this uh, inducti- deduct- inductively, I think that is. Let's look at some, uh, some enemies to contentment. Materialism. Say materialism. Uh-oh. Some of y'all packing your Bible up already. It refers to how a person or group of persons spend uh, their resources, particularly money and time. The materialist is a person for whom collecting material goods is important priority. In common use, the word more specifically refers, refers to the person who primarily pursues wealth and luxury. Now, my wife always taping an episode of something for me to watch. I love you. Um, she taped this episode off of Home and Garden TV uh, with, with Clean House, right? That's the name of it. With Nisi on there, the ghetto girl. And, um, and so... Uh, it was this episode where they go in, they basically, the show was about going into someone's house, they got too much stuff, they need help getting rid of it, all right? So they go in these one people house, right? And they said, well, this is not all our stuff. They, the garage was just to the ceiling. You just open the garage, you got to push the door shut. Then they got storage units. And so they go into the storage units, they got things that they bought over a five to ten year period that they've never touched. Just stuff that they bought with tags and everything on it. They, so this was like a record for the show. So they had to basically rent a 7,000 square foot facility to sell the products in, because they usually sell your stuff and you make money off of it. They had 7,000 square feet it took to sell all of their access possessions that they never saw or used. And when she was trying to get rid of the stuff that she hadn't seen in five years, she was getting mad at home, girl. And we don't get rid... And I, you know me, you know me and my wife, so that's why we start purging. You know what I'm saying? Listen, man, they made, how much was it, $15,000? $17,000. $17,000. Some of us got money in our house already if we just sell some stuff. You know what I'm saying? She had $17,000 just sitting in there. And what's interesting, and what's interesting for, for them is just the attachment to it. 
because of the materialism just accumulated. So we, 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 we hiring help now. We, I'm convicted. So we getting help to get rid of stuff. You know what I'm saying? We, we, and I don't like her. She's in here, and I don't like her. The devil is a liar. I don't, and so but he's going to be helping us purge stuff and get rid. I just got, I was like, dang. Because one of my friends, he take it too far. He said, if I haven't read a book on my shelf in a year, I give it away. Right? See, I'm, I'm not going to, yeah, I love you. But that's, <laughs> but, he, but he said, if you, that's hoarding and that's, somebody can use it. And I said, okay. So he beats me up about that. Consumerism, or we talked about prosperity theology. This, this joint blew me away. You got to get it. The Art of Contentment by Thomas Watson. Holy is the Lord. Listen, listen. He said, he talked about contentment and discontentment and impatience. He said, it arises from a lack of faith. Faith gives a right notion of God. It is an intelligent grace. It believes that God's wisdom tempers and his love sweetens all ingredients. This works patience. He says, Impatience gives from a lack of love to God. Impatience also comes from a lack of humility. Talking about discontentment. He says also another enemy of it is envy. Watch out now. He says, Augustine calls envy the sin of the devil. Satan envied Adam's glory in paradise and his robe of innocence. He who envies... What his neighbor has is never content with the portion which God's providence parcels out to him. As envy stirs up strife, so it creates discontentment. The envious man looks so much upon the blessing which others enjoy that he cannot see his own mercies. And so continually vexes and tortures himself. He says covetousness. Covetousness and content, uh, contentedness cannot dwell in the same heart. A verse is a, is a hell that is never satisfied. Jealousy. Jealousy is the rage of man. And often this is nothing but suspicious and fancy, yet such creates real discontentment. He says this trust, this reflects a great degree of atheism. The discontented person is ever distrustful. Discontentment is nothing else but the echo of unbelief. And remember, distrust is worse than distress. He said, a Christian of rightful temper should be cheerful in God. And so as, as, as we look at this understanding of, as we're walking through this understanding of contentment, your boy in the passage say, so fa Father, feed me the portion that is needful for me, allotted to me. Some translations say that means Give me the amount that is sufficient to meet my satisfaction. Portion points to the priest getting their proper portion in Exodus like 16, 8. An allotment of something as a part of a whole to share in it. Quota, prescribed amount of something to be made. So he points us down and he says, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? In other words, that leads to pride. If I, have, if I have too much, I'm afraid to have too much, God, because that'll lead to pride. He says, however, he says, unless I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Steal. He said, I don't want to break your commandments. These both points of commandments, having God's before you and lying or stealing. So he's talking a lot about the commandments of God. So what is, what in the world is contentment? Philippians chapter 4. We'll be closing on this. Philippians 4. Now, y'all going to laugh at what's about to happen. Watch this. <laughs> Verse 11, it says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be, to, to, uh, to, um, be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What verse is in the context? What's in, I, most of us just quote, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength or strengthens me. 
But the context of the passage has to do with contentment. What can you do through Christ who strengthens you? Be content. We just be quoting it. Oh, I can do all things. And, and that's true. God, Christ, but in this context, this verse is about Jesus Christ empowering us to be content. Wow. And, 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 and so he said, I've, because of contentment, I'm, I don't let my situation dictate the posture of my heart towards God or the Christian life. So therefore, I've learned the secret. What's the secret of drawing strength from Christ when I abound or abase? In other words, knowing that my identity is not my situation. See, that's key. So contentment is satisfaction with one's current lot. What's your lot right now? It, 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 it's satisfaction in God no matter what your lot is. And God sovereignly allows you to go through droughts and, and, and situations where you have great fountains of resourcing. But the one thing God has a problem with is if we allow our situation to dictate our posture and our identity. So it's satisfaction with him and him alone. That's the center of what it means to be content. That's why you can't join an urban church. You can't be a part of a church plant like this. If you're looking at the aesthetics, I'll say, oh, man, I need shops all down the street. I need, because see, if you drive around Philly, you're going to see abandoned houses. You're going to see uh, old factories boarded up. You got to be called here. <laughs> Amen, somebody. You got to be called. You, you don't, people don't just come here like, oh, I want to go to Philly. <laughs> people don't do that. Now, I love Philly, but I mean, people ain't just dreaming about coming to Philly. You got to be called here. And if you're forcing yourself to be here outside of the will of God, you're going to struggle. And so the call for us here is to be contentment, uh, content. Another meaning of contentment is manage whatever one has without wanting for what you don't have. That means you're always dreaming about more. Now, I'm not talking about we can never ask God for anything. We can't, but that's not what I'm talking about. However, if God doesn't provide it, you're not angry. Some of you got fired, some of you all who really got fired for nothing, everybody gets fired, it wasn't my fault, but those of you, you know, just like everybody in jail, nobody is guilty, but, you know, but one of the things about it is God uses every single situation to allow us to gauge whether or not he's enough. He will allow you to live in a room and house, to be frustrated. He will allow you to be... Take a little while longer to finish. Up. He listen. He will allow. Listen. He will put you in unique situations to to expose the dross of discontentment, because he's so passionate about Jesus's image. He will put you in any situation that it takes to sanctify you for him being enough. Because God is jealous and he doesn't like competition. And because there's competition in each one of our hearts, because it's an idol factory. Therefore, he puts us in situations that demand that we get sanctified. And he's not going to let you out of the headlock of your circumstance until your heart posture changes. And sometimes he won't take you out of it still. Because I'm like, I, I want you to be enough. I want you to be enough. I want you to be God, I told you you're enough. Take me out now. God will be like, you're not ready. Because you're still basing it on the situation. Now, that doesn't mean you don't pray for deliverance. However, God headlocks his people because he's more concerned about Jesus' image. And contentment is one of the central pieces of that. And us not being satisfied with what we have, but who has us. And then you can say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Whenever you're in that situation that you're in where your heart is like, he said, I know I'm, God, I'm not feeling like, because I'm in situations all the time, but I'm not feeling it. So I'm like, God, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that's what we need to pray today. We need to pray for this contentment to be applied to us, to be patient when things have, when God's timeline is different than ours. And you're going to be frustrated if you want things to move faster than God wants it to move. It's going to be a lifestyle of discontentment. And so I pray that 
even for those of us who, who those, those who are here that are young, those who are older, those who are middle age, upper age, lower age, whatever age you are, whatever phase of life, who has more, who has less, that God would shape us in the image of Christ by, 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 by developing in us a deep, deep contentment. Yes, you may be where you don't want to be right now. It's probably going to be like that. But we pray by the grace of God that he would give us the grace to walk in biblical contentment. Father, we thank you because we want to be satisfied with you and you alone. You. It is difficult sometimes, God, because we want life beyond you. And you said, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus. And you satisfied the wrath of God. And because Jesus satisfied God, the Father, then we should find satisfaction in Jesus also. And so, God, will you strengthen us to find satisfaction in the Christ alone, in him, in his way of thinking and his way of doing things? And, God, we're praying and asking that you would, you would bless those of us who are in different situations that are not ideal. Because there are those of us here who are in less than ideal situations. But God, I pray that even if you don't change the situation, that you'll change us. That's what we need, God. We, we need sometimes to remain in, to be developed and smelted by the master. Lord God, will you get glory out of us no matter what our murmurings are like, what our tears are like. Will you align us with your will and let us find joy and satisfaction in you and help situations not to change that. In Jesus' name, amen.